you guys saw last week at the end of the service, um, Mary Jane, raise your hand. Mary Jane got, uh, gave her life to Christ. And how was your week, Mary Jane? Yeah, she was uh, sending me texts of things that, man, she just seeing from a whole different perspective and God rocking her world. And so she's getting baptized afterwards. And Keone, uh, I will tell you, once you guys, uh, oh, where did they all go? Oh, uh, oh, there's Julie over there talking by the, by the coffee. But anyways, when they all got baptized, there's one picture I posted on Facebook that I liked a lot that um, it was all these little groms and some adults just watching the baptism and all of the explanation of the baptism. And uh, I was thinking that was part of getting what was getting Keone's mind. Keone's been asking for a while about salvation, about the Lord and about, you know, baptism, you know, just about different things. But it all just kind of clicked. And, and again, that's the purpose of baptism. Uh, when you stand up in the water, what does that look like, y'all? It looks like a cross, right? And so when I take you under the water, that represents Jesus's death and burial. You believe that he died to pay for your sins. And how many of y'all are glad that it doesn't end right there? Because <laughs> otherwise, baptism, you'd be a one-hit wonder, man. You'd never come back from it unless you're amphibious or whatever. But bottom line is you come back up again, and that represents... Um, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that you believe that. But it's your personal testimony. And this is why he has us do, do this and the Lord's Supper, to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection, and to see the miracle that he keeps doing in our lives. So when you get baptized, it's you saying, I'm dying to my old life where I'm the boss, and as best as I can, man, I'm rising to live a new life with him as my boss, and I'm doing it in his power. And so, again, we are going to have two baptisms um, out there today, and uh, that's pretty awesome. If God's putting on your heart, um, maybe it's time for renewal. Maybe that's the commitment you want to make. Maybe that's where you're at. Man, I just want to encourage you, jump in. We've got a beautiful ocean out here, and uh, uh, generally I have somebody helping. You can have whoever you want helping in that baptism, and because uh, I'm going to drop you and drown you probably, so it's good you have some help. And uh, But anyways, if God's putting that on your heart, man, do it. It's an it's a t- a opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel and a day for us to nail it down. Because when you start walking with Christ, man, the enemy wants to like make you doubt. The enemy wants you like, yeah, you're not worth it. You're not all these different things. But you can nail down that day. You can remember that day and say, no, this is the day when I gave it all to him. And even though I mess up, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going. How many of y'all who've been saved and baptized have messed up? How many of y'all got back up and did it again? Right on. That's what I'm saying. You just get back up because that's God's plan. If you're truly a believer, you can't quit. So you guys see these colors around a lot. And, uh, and uh, I just want to kind of start the message with these colors. This is a, colors that remind us about everything that has to do with our salvation. And it reminds us of, of what he wants to do for other people in their salvation. And again, uh, it all starts with this gold right in the middle. And, uh, you know, we make a big deal out of gold. We sell our soul for gold, man. Gold is, is, is used to be the standard for our money until we kept printing too much of it and all that. But that's another class. That's economics, not this one. But anyways, gold's valuable in this planet, right? But God says gold's the asphalt of heaven, man. He owns everything. He's in total control. We make a big deal of gold. He's like, yeah, dude, don't worry about that. That's what the asphalt of heaven is. I have so much. This stuff doesn't really mean much. But so what this gold reminds me of is that my home is not here. My home is where? 
heaven. Heaven's my home, man. And that's the whole goal of it is that heaven is your home because you're only here a short period of time. You see me a bunch of times. There's beet sand right here. Emily, you want to pick about 100 grains off the bottom of my foot? But Bob, how about between my toes? Can you get it? All right, hang on, man. I, I got 100 grains right here. And again, you've heard me say, if there's 100 grains right here, and each grain represented one year of life, that's a long life. How many of y'all would raise your hand and say, dude, I'm old as dirt? Raise your hand and say, oh, I, I got some of y'all admitting it, right? We're old as dirt, but man, how many of y'all are 100 years old? None of y'all are 100 years old. That's a long life, right? And if you took all the grains of sand on all the beaches in the universe, it would not uh, even equate to eternity. Man, this is not what we're living for, man. We're living for eternity. We're all going to die and we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And so God has made it possible for us to have eternal life. And I'm grateful that through what this represents, that we can have a home in heaven. So how many of y'all know your home's in heaven for sure? All right, let's see if it's for the right reason and according to Scripture in here. So the black, what it represents to me is it represents to me that my life wasn't always that way. Man, black, this dark color represents sin in my life. And I spent a number of years trying to cover my sin up. How well can I cover my own sin up? You can still see it, can't you? Okay, hang on, hang on. Can you still see it? Yeah, you can still see it. I can't cover it up. It's there. And there's nothing I could do to take it away. Because as soon as I started being good, man, I was bad again, man. And I just couldn't take my sin away. I couldn't cover it up. But the red represents the only thing in the world that can take away your sin and cover it up. And that's the blood of Christ. That is the whole theme of the Bible, man. From Genesis to Revelation, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. It took Christ's perfect life and the blood that he shed on the cross to pay for our sins and take our sins away. And how long does he take them away for y'all? Forever, man. Once they're gone, they're gone. He doesn't hold them, hold you accountable for them. Again, they're all paid for. They're all taken care of. And so it's because of that that my home's heaven. But how many of y'all would love, would have, it would have been really cool if the moment you gave your life to Christ, he took you to heaven. How many of y'all think it'd be really cool to be in heaven right now? Everything's perfect. You're perfect, man. Yeah, but he'd had a better plan. And in fact, if he would have taken all the people who gave their life to Christ to heaven, I probably wouldn't have got saved because it took somebody to stay behind to tell me what an awesome person Christ is. And he used them as a messenger to, to help me be able to believe and have faith. So his purpose in our life is not to take us to heaven immediately when we get saved. We're still here. And that's what this green is talking about. Green represents growth. So in essence, the more I grow in love with Christ, the more I grow in love with you. And I grow in love with everyone because if you love Christ, he causes you to do what? To love others. So if you hate people, you don't love God. <laughs> you know, you can talk to me all the Bible verses you want, all the theology you want. You hate people, you hate God. Or if you hate people, you don't love God. And you got to realize that's kind of something you got to work on. Something that's got to change, which is what we're going to talk about today. But the fact is, is that uh, how many of y'all have situations in life that cause you to have to grow in love with Christ? Does he, does he stretch you? Or how many of y'all are sitting on a couch eating spiritual bonbons, man? Everything's awesome. Nothing ever goes wrong. It's all great. Any of y'all? 
Raise your hand so I can pray for you because life's getting ready to change, y'all. I'm just saying, you go through seasons. There might be a little season of rest, but he knows when to rest you and he knows when to test you. If you're his child, he loves you too much to leave you in your current state. He wants you to become more like him. And he's got, in order to become like him, he's got to put things in your life that require faith. And as you take the faith that he gives you and you grow, you grow more in love with him and he causes you to grow more in love with others. And that's what this is all about right here. That's where you see these colors on our shirts, on our whatever. And, and you see it on my paddle boards. You see it everywhere because in life, as I'm paddling, as I'm looking at my shirt, one, man, if he makes me focus on the gold, I can then focus on the fact where my home is, right? It's heaven. If he makes me focus on the dark color, I'm like, oh, all right, what is it in my life that's not representing you, Lord? What is it that you need to work on that's, that's making me not look like you? And, 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 that, and I get to talk to him about that. Man, sometimes he just has me focus on the red, and I think of how I didn't deserve it, but I have it. I have the blood of Christ covering my sins. It's totally covering them and taking them away, man. And other times... I'll be like, what in the world am I still? Oh, man, why is this person in my Why is this going on? Hey, how many of y'all have those days? What the heck's going on? Why, why, why? Ah! Anybody? Yeah. That's when he has me focus on the green. He's like, ah, I put that without faith, it tells us in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So he's got to give us situations that require faith so we have an opportunity to please him. So where do we get the faith from, y'all? From Him. So He gives us the situation, but it generally, as soon as we get the situation, what are we praying for? Take it away! Take it away! Get it out of here! No, He wants, He put the situation in our life so that we will pray to Him and say, God, I know this came from You to make me more like You, to bring You glory, and I need faith to get through it. He gives you the faith, and that's what you guys just spent 45 minutes or however long we were talking about. Situations where He puts situations in your life that required faith, and He gave you the faith, and there it was. That's a cool thing. So that's what it's all about. And some of those situations um, are going to require something. There's an F word. It's not faith. There's an F word that we all hate, especially when we have to do it. You ready for this? It's called forgiveness. Oh, how many of y'all, how many of y'all like, want somebody to offend you so you can forgive them? How many of y'all prayed this morning, God, bring people to offend me this morning. Bring, bring bad drivers on Indian River Drive so I can cuss them out and swerve around them and get real close to the guy riding the bike and all this so, so I can ask for forgiveness. How many of y'all prayed for opportunities to forgive today? No, that they come. How many of you have had opportunities where it's going to require forgiveness in your life? How many of you have had some you haven't even dealt with before and you're like, oh, dude, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today. I have so nicely packed away all of that in my life where I don't have to think about that situation. I don't have to think about that person. I don't have to think about this anymore. But the fact is, is it's still there. And so we need to be able to forgive. Forgiveness is, in fact, let me ask you a question. What? Where, uh, let me see if I can even say this. Your, what is your greatest opportunity to be Christ-like? What is your greatest opportunity to be like God? Forgiveness. Think about this. In here, 
dude, your, your home's heaven only because you had all this sin, but it took the blood of Christ to do what? He forgave you. It, without Him forgiving you, man, you're lost in your sin. You're a slave to sin. So the very basis of your Christian foundation, the very basis of your relationship is forgiveness. The most Christ-like you can be and ever will be is when you forgive. How many of y'all say, dude, that's hard? <laughs> yeah. How many of y'all know you can't do it? That's where you have to trust Him for the faith to be able to forgive. And we're going to start looking at some basic principles of that right now. JJ, you got me to that first slide right there? I'm pushing, just pushing. All right, so, so in chapter uh, 5, we're going to start chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Paul went through the first three chapters and he said, hey, here's all the wealth you have in Christ. Oh, all these things you have in Christ. Now he started in chapter 4 and he's going into verse 5 saying, now, here's how you walk in that wealth. Here's what you do with it. Here's how you apply it. Because you guys know the Bible is like a giant stick of deodorant, right? It's a giant stick of deodorant. And if the person sitting next to you had a 55-gallon drum, hey, your husband, he had a 55-gallon drum, but if he didn't do what with it, he's got to do what? What's he got to do with it? He's... Oh, he's Episcopal dude, right? Yeah, yeah, man. He'd probably first be getting some shoes on me. But anyways, it's all good. It's the same gospel, man. It's the same gospel. But man, I'm just saying, if you don't put that under your arm, you're going to stink. How many of y'all know people that they can actually wear deodorant and still stink? Yeah, this Word of God works on everyone here. And so anyways, what, what he's saying is you've got to walk in your wealth that you have. You can have all this wealth, but if you don't use it, it's never going to do you any good. And he starts telling us how to walk in that wealth. And so in chapter 5, he starts off by saying, man, you know what I want you to do? I want you to be like God. Be like God. I don't know, that might be foreign to some people when it comes to church and different things to be like God. And, uh, you know, just, just, but that's what God wants us. He loves you too much to leave you in your current state. And so the first thing we're going to see about God is God is love. Originally, dude, I was going to take the first like four or five verses and I was going to go bam, 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 bam. And all right, we finished God is love, but God broke it up into three pieces. We're only going to look at one. And the one we're going to look at today is forgiveness. The greatest act of love Christ ever gave to us was forgiveness. And the greatest act of love we have for anyone is forgiveness. But it takes Him to do it. So let's take a look at this. We have to go back to the previous chapter because the new chapter starts with a therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you have to look to the previous verses to see what the therefore is therefore. Amen? You've got to see. You can't just go, oh, therefore, and then take it, because then you make it say whatever it's saying. And it's important we take the Word of God in context. You don't have the right to take a Bible verse and make it say anything you want it to say. Hey, Mac, if you wrote an email or you write a text, you, you write a text to Bill. Uh, does Bill have the right to take your text and take little pieces out of it and make it say whatever he wants it to say? No, you'd be mad at him, right? So if Bill doesn't have the right to do that with yours, none of us would have the right to do that with God. You've got to take it in context. So we go back to the previous verses that we looked at last week, a couple of them, and he started off by saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here's the deal. 
He's saying when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is living in you. And we know from previous parts of this book in our wealth that that Holy Spirit is preserving you. He's protecting you. He's keeping you saved. Remember, God picked you. The, uh, Jesus Christ uh, paid for you and the Holy Spirit is preserving you is what, we're being, what we've been told. And so you're being preserved because you have a home in heaven. Um, check this out. Uh, I've got this other little illustration that I, for some reason, God wanted me to bring it, and I really wasn't sure why. But in the end of the book of Ephesians chapter 1, in the message, it states it like this. It says, no, no, man, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world's peripheral to the church. Peripheral me. So he's like, they had the idea that, oh, the church is just one piece of the world. And he's like, no, no. And when I say church, I'm not talking about driftwood. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about people who've given their life to Christ, who have that sacrifice supply, whether it's Episcopal or it's whatever you want to call us, driftwood, whatever, it doesn't matter. If it's biblical, it's biblical. If you if you've got the word of God and what it says, you're saved by by what Christ did on the cross, you are the church. And all that's going to all that's going to be left one day is the church. You do understand, according to God, who knows everything, is everywhere, and can do anything. He says one day all of this is going away. The only thing that will be left will be the church. Those who are in Him go to heaven. Everything else is either going to be destroyed or it's going to hell. I didn't say that. He said it. I'm the messenger letting you know. That's why he wants you to be in Christ, which is this, this disc right here. All right? And so if the world is peripheral to the church, Barrel of Monkeys. Y'all remember Barrel of Monkeys? Everybody like that game, man? Barrel of Mon- Abby, did you ever play Barrel of Monkeys? Oh my goodness. I used to be so good with that game, man. And so, so here it is. Look at this, man. The world is peripheral to the church. Here's all the different religions. Here's all the different occupations. Here's all the different hobbies. Here's all the different countries, all the everything in the world. You were peripheral. When you came in, you were hanging on the edge of the gospel. How many of y'all remember when you were a monkey hanging on the side? How many of y'all said, yeah, dude, I, I could believe it, man. Uh, Scott, you were a monkey hanging on the side, man. And it wasn't until your hands started getting tired. I can't hang on no more. I can't do this anymore. I'm done being my boss. Man, I want, I need something more to life than this. This is, dude, this is all there is to life, man. And, and, and at some way, somehow, God gave you the desire and ability to surrender everything you knew about yourself to everything you knew about him. And guess what happened to you as one of these monkeys, man? God pulled you in. And you know what? He may have even used another monkey that was already in there to help pull you in. How many of y'all did he use another monkey to help pull you in? Someone who was already in? Yeah. And it might, exactly. But there's still plenty hanging on the edge. The world is peripheral, hanging on. And what's going to happen to everything hanging on when the church goes? It's gone. It's going to be judged. It's going to be destroyed. All the great assets we have that we sell our soul for, they're gone. It's all going away. And so the goal is if you are one of the monkeys in the middle, how many of y'all are one of the monkeys in the middle? You're in Christ. How long are you going to be in there? Can anyone ever take you out, Gary? No. Can, can, can you kick Bob out? Bob, can you kick him out? Would you ever want to? Not you guys, but have there ever been other people in church you'd like to kick out of the... Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and the fact is, is man, we're going to be together forever, so you might as well just learn to love each other and like each other right now. But anyways, here's, here's the thing. So the goal is, man, to be living in here, not to be a monkey coming back out on the edge, but living and experiencing everything God wants you to experience because you know what? That's what it took. God showed you what that was like. And the goal is for these monkeys all to come in since this is all that lasts and it lasts forever. So when you get brought in, you have the Holy Spirit. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit made it possible and is protecting you. You keep trying to jump out. How many of y'all ever try to jump out and go do world the, the things of the world you know you're not supposed to, right, Brandon? You try to jump out. Who's keeping you from jumping out of that Frisbee? God is, you know, here's Brandon. All right. Brandon's like, oh, I'm in the world. I'm in Christ. Yeah, here it is. And it's like, whoa, watch this cartwheel out. And there you are flying out and God reaches his big hand and grabs you and pulls you back in. Because once you're in, you can't get out. Amen. And so he's keeping you preserved. You're there. You're set for eternity. You're going to be in a perfect place. You're going to be there forever. And you're going to be perfect. Will you look at the person next to you? And can you imagine them being perfect? Can you imagine? I know y'all two are twins, right? Y'all sort of look like each other, but y'all know stuff about each other. Y'all Nobody else knows, right? Can you imagine you two are going to be perfect? Look at that guy next to you, Chuck. He's going to be perfect. Is he perfect now? Dude, Marley's like, yeah, right. I got to see this. So you give your life to Christ so you can see it. <laughs> I'm just saying we're going to be perfect one day. He said, so don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by acting like you're not in Christ, like you're in the world, like you're a monkey still hanging on. Quit trying to jump out. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Have a walk that's worthy of your salvation is what he's talking about in here. and. Uh, and so look at this. Here's what he starts talking about. We, talk, we did this last week, but I'm going to briefly hit it again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. So he's saying that if you're in a monkey in the middle, you're in Christ. Quit trying to act like those that aren't, you know? And, and, and if these things come up in your life, all right, let me ask you a question. If you are bitter towards somebody, what do you need to do to them? What's that F word? Yeah. Forgive. Yeah. If, if, you have, if you want wrath on them. <laughs> Anybody ever want wrath on somebody? Come on, man. You, you, yeah, even as a believer. Yeah, we want wrath sometimes, especially in snowbird traffic. You know, I'm just saying sometimes, all right? And, and, and Mac, you know, I love you guys. My son, my, yeah, I'm not even going to go the whole story again, but my, my son says, Dad, you wouldn't even have a church if it, was for not, if it wasn't for snowbirds. That's why God gave me the ability to love you all. I love you guys more than anything in the world. I love all of you all because God gave me that ability. So that means I got to forgive you. No, I'm just like, <laughs> and you got to forgive me, right? That's what it's about. If you got bitterness towards somebody, what do you need to do? Forgive if you want wrath on somebody. Dude, you're going down US 1 and you have perfectly timed out your route so that you're going to pull into the parking lot for that appointment one minute early so you can get up the stairs. And now you have three blue angels in front of you that are in each one of the lanes going all the same speed. How many of you would say, I do not want wrath on those people? <laughs> you're a liar. You need to repent. I'm just saying. 
There's things that bring us wrath. There's things we want. We don't really want to kill anybody or whatever. We just want to get out of the way. But I'm just saying wrath. So there's times like, you know, there's wrath. All right, if you have anger towards people, what's the F word that you need to forgive? If you have clamor and slander and malice, what do you need to do? Forgive. So that's what the therefore is there for. So he goes back and says, man, don't be grieving the Holy Spirit who's got your whole eternity set. And when does your eternity start? How about the minute you get saved? That it gets set, the, the, the minute you get saved and the more you crucify the flesh and become more like Christ, the less the flesh can affect you. And you will have this bitterness, this wrath, this anger, this clamor, this slander, and, and all that malice, the less you'll have all of that. But yet we have this old body when we got saved. We came to this world with it as a pig in a pig's body, right? And we got saved and we got a cat nature now. But what happens if a cat goes and wallows in the, in the mud? Oh, you know, but our pig body still wants to wallow in the mud. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, like Paul, I can't believe I did what I didn't want to do. I can't believe I didn't do what I did want to do. Anybody have that problem? Like the Apostle Paul? That's what it's about. So we've got to become more like Christ in all of this. So then he goes on with that. He says, instead, you need to be kind to one another. So someone you want wrath on, how are you going to be kind to them? What do you got to do? What's the F word? Forgive. Oh, tenderhearted towards the person that just dropped in on you, right? All right? For about the 14th time, and they're in a surfing kayak. I'm just saying. <laughs> they're catching it way out there and giving it. Dude, what, what is it? Are you tenderhearted? Oh, please go. No. You're getting hard-hearted. Each one, first time they go by, you're like, oh, hey, you know, that was kind of my way of, you know, hey, can we share? You know, or it might be a little rougher than that. But your heart gets a little less tender each time, don't? When you get offended, as you continue to be offended. So if you are not tender-hearted, if you want to be tender-hearted, what do you need to do? Julia, what's the F word? Forgive. Have you ever noticed? All right, I'm not even going to ask your husband because he's too smart a man to even answer in public or in private, but is there ever a time where your heart's not as tender as it should be? Yes. All right. I'm a pastor. I can ask those things. Don't ever ask that, Sean. I'm just saying. <laughs> Look what he says. He said, forgiving one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And all we really addressed with this last week is if you have no other reason to forgive somebody, it's because it's for God's sake, because you represent him. That's why if you have no other reason, you don't really care about the relationship. You don't care about living in peace, getting rid of the wrath, all that. You forgive somebody because you represent God. That's why you do it. Uh, I read a story a minute ago, uh, or yesterday, a day before something, not a minute ago. I did just in my head just now. <laughs> that was a minute ago, but it, it was something about Alexander the Great that one day in his army, he uh, had a dude named Alexander. And the guy was a coward. So Alexander the Great is this mighty warrior. He's got a guy named Alex, Alexander in his army. He's a coward. He went up to dude and he said, listen, either renounce your cowardice or you renounce your name. <laughs> I don't want you to even have the same name as me if you're going to be that way. And again, I wonder how many of us as believers 
need to renounce our bitterness, our anger, our wrath. We need to forgive so that we can represent Christ. So he says, man, as God and Christ forgave you, look what he says, and I'm going to just start this, and you're going to see these couple of verses uh, a couple of weeks in a row at least. Maybe we'll get to the next two parts next week or whatever, but this week it's just going to look at forgiveness. He says, therefore, there's the therefore, because of what we just saw, be imitators of God. Imitators. Be, imitate God. Hey, how many of y'all looked in the mirror today? Bob, did you look in the mirror this morning? Did you move? Or did you just like, did you move? Did you blink in the mirror? Did you put your hands up or anything? Oh, okay, all right, yeah. Did you, did you do this? Okay, good, good, all right. <laughs> That's brushing your teeth, man. I'm just saying, but, and you might have done this. Hey, what did the image in the mirror do? Oh, exactly what you did. How many, how many of y'all would have probably not even shown up today if the image in the mirror did something different than what you did? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And in fact, in, in Genesis, at the very beginning when God created man, you know the beauty of man? Man is made in the image of who? God. We're made in His image. We have the ability to mimic Him. But you want to hear something sad after the fall in Genesis chapter 3? Or actually, it it was a fall, but in Genesis chapter 5, if you read it, it said, but Adam and Eve's offspring were made in the image of, guess who? Adam and Eve. So it doesn't mean they're no longer made in God's image, but they're also made in Adam and Eve's image. How many of y'all have that struggle that sometimes you look more like Adam and Eve blowing God off? And sometimes you look more like God in the image of Him. You have the choice. It's the icon. That's literally what that word means in the Hebrew. If you saw a swoosh, what would that be the icon for? Nike, right? All right. But so you are the icon of God. When people see you, they should see God is what that literally is saying. So he says, therefore, because you're set for eternity, if you're set for eternity, and how many of y'all, how many of y'all would say, dude, I got less than 100 years here? All right. How many of you say I got less than 50 years here? How many did you say I got less than 25 years here, I think? I hope. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, because our home's heaven, right? How many say, dude, I got no clue, man. It might be today. That should be all of us. We have no idea. Man, so for this short period of time that we're here, we need to be, we need to be imitators of God as beloved children. Hey, those people down there in the kids' ministry, Terry, you work down there, right? Oh, you work with the babies and stuff, but even there, you know what? When I worked in the children's ministry, Ryan, I knew more about your parents because of having you as a kid than I knew than their parents would ever tell me. They, you're, how many of y'all know the apple don't fall far from the tree, right? How many of y'all hate that because you're like, oh, I tried, I tried, but no, dude, that's it. You got each other's genes, man, and so that's what he's saying. Now that you're born again, whose genes do you have? God's genes. Still got your parents, <laughs> but you have God's. So man, be imitators of God as beloved children. Act like your dad, (laughs) your heavenly dad in that. So he says, look at this, walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And again, what was the greatest act of love that Christ ever gave? Barb, what was the greatest act of love that God ever gave us? Yeah, what's that F word again? Forgiveness. Yeah, man, without forgiveness, we got nothing. 
So that's where it all starts. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. So next week, we will be looking at His love as unconditional. And maybe the next week or next week too, whatever, we'll be looking at it as sacrificial. But today, we're going to be looking at His love is forgiveness. And we're supposed to imitate Him. So I have two stories. One I alluded to last week. One I want you to see. I want you to see the Scripture and another one that comes in. And both stories have... It's how Jesus explained forgiveness when he came to this earth and was trying to tell the religious people who had it all wrong, this is what it's about. Check this out, Matthew 18. And I'm actually going to start a little further up in Matthew 18 in here. So Jesus is saying, if your brother or sister, now he's talking about another brother or sister in Christ, but these principles will work also with somebody who's not a believer, okay? But uh, it's awful hard for uh, someone who's not a believer, doesn't have the Holy Spirit, to love you when you're being unlovable. It's harder, but he's saying this is, this is how believers should work. This is how we should forgive each other. It says, so if a brother or sister sins against you, what's that next word say? Go. Hey, so how many of you are those infamous passive aggressive people that are holy and righteous thinking, oh, I never cause trouble. Somebody offends me, I just go. And then you keep it all in and talk to your little posse and your little group. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this whole pack that hates this person over something because you didn't do what? What's the two-letter word? Go! <laughs> how, how many of y'all hate confrontation, really? Okay, yeah. But again, confrontation can be healthy. It can be helpful. It can be, it's a spiritual thing. Look what he said. If someone sins against you, what's the first thing you do? Go! If you don't go and tell them their fault, if you don't go, you're just as guilty as them for the conflict. Man, I can't tell you in 30 years of being a pastor how many situations have been blown out of proportion, how many feuds have been starting. Y'all remember like Andy Griffith and all them shows, there'd be a feud, or Hatfields and McCoys. What are y'all feuding over? I don't know, but they're Hatfield, you know. That's what happens in the church. We don't even know why we're feuding. Even out in the world, well, I just don't like, and it's built up, it's built up, it's built up, and now, I mean, what happens each time a story gets told? It's embellished, right? All of a sudden, it's worse. But he said, as soon as you get offended, you got to go. It's your job, if you are the offended party, to do what? Go. How many, and you go. This is talking about your marriage. This is talking about your family. This is talking about your community. This is talking about your church. It's talking about with you and your pastor, whatever. Man, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, see somebody later, like, well, you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, why didn't you come to me? That's not at all what I meant, not what I, and I'm not trying to just get myself out. It really wasn't. It was a misunderstanding. How many of y'all ever been part of misunderstandings that have gotten blown out of proportion? That's why as a believer, you got to, and it's for the purpose of, of, of not winning an argument, but it's the purpose of restoring a relationship. That's the purpose of restoring it. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault. So do I go and say, Bob, I just can't believe you did this. Bob, 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 Bob. You know, is, is that what you're supposed to do? Because what's Bob going to do as soon as I get in his face? Dude, he's putting a wall up. Bob's going to, yeah, his wall might knock me over. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I might get shot. Who knows? But the fact is, is when you go, you go in a spirit of love. And I'm going to tell you this, that one of the most effective ways to go, how many of y'all know you are capable of misunderstanding something? 
If you know you're capable of misunderstanding, guess how you should go? Hey, this kind of happened, and I may have misunderstood this. Now later, if they're like, no, you're a jerk, and I did this on purpose. Okay, now we're doing differently, all right? But you go with the purpose of, man, maybe I misunderstood this, you know, this is the way I took it, I'm kind of oversensitive, or whatever. But you kind of come as the guilty party. And again, it's not a facade. How many of y'all know you could be the one that misunderstood something? Yeah. So you go to that, and that's part of the restoration. You either live with the fault that's in there in the way that you've imagined it and the picture you painted, or you go and try to find reality. And even if reality's bad, there's no way to fix reality and make it better until both of you or whatever group's got to get together and talk. I'm not a passive-aggressive person. <laughs> Duh. It's like, I don't sit back. If you offend me, I'm going to go to you in this. My problem is I have to be able to go in love. But I am so sick of passive-aggressive people who think they are so spiritual because they just put it away. Have they really put it away? No, it's eaten them like an acid inside. It does more damage to the vessel in which it's stored than the vessel on which it's poured. And if you don't get it right and the person that offended you dies, guess what? You're still holding it. And you can't even get restored. There are so many people that need to forgive somebody that is dead if they didn't do it when it was alive. And imagine all the fellowship that you missed if you could have straightened it out. That's why Jesus says, go, tell them their fault, but do it in love. Between who? What does the next part say? Between you and him alone. That's how you do it. If they listen to you, that means they hear and they understand, and you are able to work it out. And again, it's not like I come to Emily and that I'm right and she's wrong, because if I come with that attitude, are we ever going to solve anything? Hey, how many of you have ever been in a disagreement where only one person was at fault? If you're in that disagreement... And you could raise your hand and say, yep, yep, I'm just not doing it because I don't want you calling on me. But if that's you, chances are you need to forgive. This hasn't been resolved. Because how many of y'all have been in a disagreement where once you work it out, you realize both people are at fault? Yeah, that's marriage. <laughs> that's marriage. God puts opposites together, right? Both y'all were the same. One of you is not necessary. Your way's not right. Your way's not right. Y'all's way is right. And that's where disagreement comes. Well, if I can just get them to see it my way, my way is the right way, the only way, and bam, there it is. No. So you got to go, you got to talk. And if you can work it out, and I will tell you, there's a big difference between forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness has to happen instantly. Otherwise, it eats you alive. You know what forgiveness means? Forgiveness means when I see your face, I don't have anger. I don't want wrath on you. I am not bitter towards you. I am not whatever. But restoration, forgiveness doesn't mean our relationship's restored where I want you to come over and have dinner with me. It doesn't mean that our relationship is what it used to be. That takes time. And how many people are involved for a relationship to be restored? Everyone that is involved in the offense. It takes time for that. So if it's somebody who's dead, how am I going to restore that? You're not. It's too bad you didn't work on it while they were alive. But the fact is, is that forgiveness has to happen. 
And so again, he says, go tell them their fall between you and him alone. If he listens and you got, that means he hears what you have to say and you hear what they have to say. You've gained a brother. You're back in fellowship together. Amen. Isn't that great? How many of you ever done that? You've had a disagreement. You've had a situation and you confronted, you've been together and now you're buds again. Anybody? Yeah. Isn't that an awesome thing? That's what God intends for his church. But pride stands in the way. Because I could be wrong. You know, it's not about winning arguments and winning fights. It's about restoring a relationship. But you can't begin the restoration if you don't deal with forgiveness. So he says, but if they don't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You know what that means, Bob? That means we just get everybody who thinks the way I think, and we come up and we get on Nate, who's a pos. You know, Nate, we think you need to be eating meat, man. You're getting malnourished not eating meat, you daggum vegetarian, vegan, you know, whatever. And you know I'm messing with you. I love you, my brother. It, it, even though I eat meat. <laughs> I am a meatitarian, you're a vegetarian, but we love each other, don't we? Amen. Yes, that's right. But all of a sudden we get everybody together and we gang up on somebody. Is that what it's talking about? No, that's not restoration. And in fact, you know what happened? Nate and I may have a disagreement and I bring three people that I think are on my side. They hear what's going on and guess what? Guess what? They may think that both of us are at fault. In fact, that's the idea that they come and they say, wow, both of y'all got something to work on. Isn't that why we go to another brother or sister, bring them along? How many of y'all have a blind spot? How do you know you got a blind spot? Marissa told you. Could you see your own blind spot? No, because it's a blind spot. You need somebody else to tell you that, right? And so that's what's got to happen. So again, understand it's not about getting a posse and convincing everybody you're right. It's about restoring things, which means you got to admit where you're wrong also in this, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And they didn't have church back then when this was written in Matthew 18. They had a synagogue, they had an assembly. And so he's saying, yeah, take it. You know, get two or three guys who see things from God's perspective and go talk to this person. And you know what? Maybe they're going to see what you've done and you've done, and they're going to help both of you restore things out instead of what happens if you don't get some get people together to see it from God's perspective. Man, you know what you do? You just keep building your case and building your case. And the more you build your case, they're wrong and I'm right. They're wrong and I'm right. And what happens to the relationship? I've seen communities be broken up over this, man. It can't happen this way. And so he said, if he refused to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refused to listen, even to the church. And again, this church is really the word. Uh, this is the assembly. There was no church at the time. If you go back into the Greek, they had uh, they, it was a Jewish synagogue. Pentecost wasn't there yet. He said, he said, man, bring it back to your little assembly and let the people, the bigger group who see things from God's perspective, look at your situation. But maybe sometimes we don't want to do that because we might find out we're wrong. We have presented such a good case to everyone that we feel we're right. And, uh, and we have our group. And, and instead, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to be reconciled. And usually when we are, both people who have the problem are at fault. But we don't like that. So he starts off, and he, he, Jesus starts talking about this. He said, otherwise, you know what? You can treat him like a Gentile or tax collector. That doesn't mean hate him. That doesn't mean not, it just means you're not in intimate fellowship. It means, dude, I guess we can't see life from God's perspective if you don't see it that way. I love you, man. We can go have lunch, we can go do this, whatever, but we're not in intimate fellowship. 
like we would be if we were both seeing life from God's perspective. So it's not ditching people, it's just it changes the relationship. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Here's a bunch of verses that basically get butchered, and people take these out of context. And now remember, the context is reconciling relationships, right? Verse 18 says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I can't tell you how many times people have taken that verse out of context. Oh, well, I bind this and it's bound in heaven. There's the verse that says, if I bind this on earth, it's bound in heaven. Now, you know what he's saying here? He's simply saying that if God said it's wrong, then it's, then it's going to be wrong. It's, it's the fact, have you ever had somebody say, you're not the judge? You're not the judge. You're not the judge. No, I'm not the judge. But I know the judge. And I know what the judge has said. How many of y'all represent the judge based on this? I'm not the judge, but the judge has already ruled on something. So if the judge has already ruled on it, and I follow the judge, and I represent the judge, then guess what? I'm not judging. I'm just telling you what the judge has already said. And that's what this means. If God's already said it's wrong, if God's already bound, then you are the authority on earth representing him to say, no, this is wrong, guys. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be in this relationship. You shouldn't have this going on. Because God said it, not that I bind it. I'm only binding. I only have power to bind what God has already bound. Does that make sense, y'all? So it doesn't mean that I get to say, oh, well, that illness is bound here and now it's bound in heaven. You don't have the choice. You bind what God has already bound. You just have permission from him to represent him and say, God, you know, God said this. This is the way it is. So you've got to take it in context here. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Well, you think that's wrong, Nate? Really? Scripture doesn't say... You know, really, Scripture doesn't have much to do with a tattoo, bro. I can't. Uh, you know what? I used to have kids in a youth ministry back in the day where everybody had tattoos all over everything, and it's all cool if you do or don't. I'm not going with tattoos, but kids, kids would come in there in youth, and they were like, I want a tattoo. What does it say in Scripture about tattoos? And I'd have old people come to me with Leviticus, and I'd have young people come with other stuff, and I'm just like, dude, you know, really, Scripture doesn't have a lot to say about tattoos. Oh, I'm going back, and I have parents wanting to fight me because they said, your kid, you, you just told my kid they can have a tattoo. No, 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 that's not what I said. I said, Scripture doesn't say much about tattoos. <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah, you do. I said, no, no. What I told your kid was, if you as a parent didn't want to have a tattoo, then that's where the offense comes. <laughs> if you as a parent don't care, man, go mark your face up, whatever. I don't care. I'm just saying, it doesn't, that's where the, you have to go what Scripture says and what Scripture doesn't say in stuff. And, and so, again, so can I tell you tattoos are wrong? Absolutely not. Not unless your parent says, Marley, your parent says you want to get like your whole face done with every surf, whatever, man. You just want tribal. That'd be cool, dude. A tribal face. It would be now until it gets old and wrinkled and then it's just going to look like messed up. But I'm just saying. But if your parent doesn't want that, God says we honor and obey our parents. That's the first commandment with promise. Said you'll live a good life. You obey your parents. He's going to hold them accountable. Well, it's not fair. Everybody else is getting their face done with tattoos. And everybody else is like, it doesn't matter if you're parent. You honor that, and God will take care of your parent. We honor the people God tells us that are in authority over us. So you got to make sure the principle is that. That's what this bound in heaven and earth is about. He said, again, I say to you, if two of you, oh, here's one. 
This is for a small congregation in church. How many of you ever heard, oh, well, nobody showed up to church today. Well, bless God, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name. There, I, I mean, how many of you ever heard that as an excuse for small church attendance, right? You, you have, right? Oh, well, well, two or three are here. That's not even what this is talking about. Listen again, verse 19. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done with them with my Father in heaven. So he's talking here about if you agree with God, then that's what's going to happen right here. That God's going to do what God's going to do in things. But look at this next verse. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So man, dadgummit, let's have church. We only got us. That's cool. This is before Pentecost. So let me ask you a question. Do you need two or three to have church? What happened to Paul, or not Paul, but the Apostle John? Do you know what happened to Apostle John during persecution? They boiled him. They tried to boil the dude in cooking oil. <laughs> and he's an old 90-year-old man, and he survived. Man, Ralph, can you imagine? I don't know how old you are, bro, but can you imagine being boiled in cooking oil? And then getting out and saying, whoa, man, I'm kind of crispy, but I'm good, you know? And Yeah, and they're like, well, that didn't work. So let's send him out to an island all by himself, and you wake up on an island on Sunday morning. A little sunburned already from the oil, right? You know, and, and, and there you are. On Sunday morning, how many of y'all would be like, oh, God, man, I ain't serving God no more. I just got boiled in cooking oil and blah, blah. You know what John did on that Sunday morning when he found himself on the island of Patmos? What did he do, guys? He had a one-man worship service. And as he had that one-man worship service, God began to speak to him. And what book of the Bible do we have because of that? Revelation. So even if you got one, don't be like, y'all get, get a jail ministry or something because you get arrested or you get, I'm, I'm just saying it could, things that are legal could be made illegal here soon. But I'm just saying, you find yourself all alone. You're at a hotel room, Terry. And it's a Sunday, and you're like, well, I guess I can't worship God. I'll have two or three more other people with me. No, you got you and the Holy Spirit of God in you. This was before Pentecost, where two or three are gathered. What they're talking about, have you ever heard somebody come to you with an accusation? And you're like, wow, that person's messed up. That's messed up. We can't do that. And then all of a sudden, somebody else tells you the same story, and another one tells you, like, ooh. You know, how many of y'all know there's more than one side to a story? That's why the Jews had two to three witnesses. So they could all hear it with their different perspectives and their different way of hearing it, and they could come up with the truth. That's what this two or three's talked about. Now, to stone somebody back in the day, they had to have two or three witnesses. So one, it couldn't be on one person's testimony. It had to be other witnesses, and that's what it means. So what he's talking about is restoration. He's talking about forgiveness and restoration. And we're going to hit this next part real super quick, and then... Next week, I believe we will get into the other part, but we'll see where God goes with this. Then Peter came up. So after hearing all of this of, hey, if somebody wrongs you, hey, if, if Bob wrongs you, what are you supposed to do, Gene? Uh, what do you do first? How do you forget? You just like, oh, you ignore it and you forgive him, right? No, what are you supposed to do first? You got to go to him. You got to tell him. Wouldn't it be easy if we could just say, oh, I'm going to forgive him and never bring this up? Oh, buddy, if I bring this up, it's all going to break loose now. But the fact is, we got to bring it up in a way of love. And you need God's wisdom to be able to do it that way, right? So, Bob, your wife offends you. What are you supposed to do? Run! No, no. You got to go to her at some point. Because what happens to an offense that's never dealt with? Dude, it festers, man. 
it festers and, and then it blows up, man. Anything you hold in, when it finally comes out, it ain't going to be very nice. Amen? <laughs> Y'all never amen that before, did you? But I'm just saying. So Peter came up to him and said, Lord, I know I'm your top guy here. I'm the most spiritual, at least in my own humble opinion. I am H-O, is that what it is? In my own, uh, am I, how do you do in my humble opinion? You, you know how people put that like after their things? I didn't even know what that meant. How is it? In, I, in. Help me out. Yeah, I was like, I thought they were saying I'm a hoe or something. At first when I saw it, I'm just like, what? <laughs> Everybody can't, and I'm like, no, this person's older. They would not have said that about themselves. <laughs> I'm hoe, you know, but in my humble opinion. And then I started realizing everybody says, yeah, in my opinion. So, you know what that means? They don't care about anybody else's at that point. It's like, all right. So Peter, Peter walks up. Jesus says, I'm hoe. <laughs> in my humble opinion, you know, Lord. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out with these guys. I know these guys pretty well here. They're fishermen. I should be in charge of them. Except that one tax collector dude you happened to bring in, which we didn't care for much. He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven? <laughs> because the Pharisees and the religious leader at the time said you forgive them three times. Three strikes you're out, right? Maybe that's where baseball got it from. I don't know. But three strikes. You forgive one, two, three times, dude, and they don't get it. Forget it. I'm done. And Peter says, uh, as many as seven, dude, I'm going to double what the religious people do. And surely that you're going to say, wow, Peter, that is awful generous of you. You're awesome, Peter. Is that how God responds? No, watch what God says. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Hey, how much is that for you mathematicians in here? Yeah, yeah, you saw how good I was with letters, right? Now you can imagine how good I am with math. 490 times. You know what I imagine? Listen, listen, listen. I'm gonna, I think we're going to end here uh, after we get done with that. I mean, we end right now, but soon. But anyways, <laughs> listen to this, 490 times. How many of y'all, if I had you start counting from 1 to 490 right now, how many of y'all would like poop out before you even got to 490? That'd be a lot to count, right? So when he says, no, 490 times, you know, I could just imagine Peter thinking, what? How am I going to keep track of all these offenses? So did Jesus really mean on 489, 489, oh, you're getting close, one more, and I'm not forgiving you anymore, according to Jesus' words. Is that what he said? No, Jesus gave him a number that's insurmountable. How many of y'all could really, truly, without writing it down, keep track of 490 offenses? How many of y'all would forget? How many after a hundred times of forgiving would now develop a pattern of forgiveness? Where all of a sudden it didn't even matter anymore. You see what God's doing here? He's not trying to get you to be a bean counter and, and, and make a scorecard of how often people offend you. What he's trying to get you to do is forgive so many times every time somebody offends you that, man, you don't even want to keep track. And plus, when you forgive people, what happens when you get up in somebody's face? You get up in somebody's face and you, man, what, what's going to happen? There's going to be a fight, right? But when you forgive somebody, what happens to people? And when they forgive you, when you develop that kind of a community of forgiveness, what's it like? Isn't it awesome? Isn't it tender-hearted? 
Isn't it compassionate? Isn't it everything that we're supposed to be? So he said, man, I don't say it to you seven times, but 70 times seven times. In other words, just forgive every time someone offends you. And again, I really, <laughs> what the heck, we're here, man. <laughs> let's just, let's hit this one story here. I'm going to read this quick and I'm not going to elaborate a lot. We've got to, man. Therefore, Jesus said, Peter, here, I'm going to help you get this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. All right. I told you a story last week, but I want you to read it because there's something powerful about seeing it in the word of God. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This was like anywhere from 12 to $20 million. And the reason we can't, Ryan, you're asking me about differences in numbers. It's like, depends what talent you're going to use. Even what used to be $20 is not $20 anymore. So it's hard to give a value to something, but this is an insurmountable amount. And you know what many people believe that if this dude owed him this much, he got caught embezzling. It was actually theft. You want to add more to it. He probably stole this and got caught and owed the dude anywhere from 12 to $20 million. So he began to settle. He's like, hey, remember what you stole from me? Remember what you took from me? Hey, I want it back. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, children, and all that he had, and payment be made. Sell, I'm going to take your family, because that was slavery at the time. You could take family, sell them, and, and then pay it off or whatever. So he said, that's what's going to happen. So the servant fell on his knees, begging him, imploring, have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, not in hopes to recovering how much is owed, but out of pity saying, wow, you know what? I don't really want to do this to this guy's family. The master of that servant released him and forgave him of his debt. When were you forgiven of a debt that you could never pay? At salvation. You could never pay it and you were forgiven. So put yourself in this guy's place where he was forgiven. So when you come back out, you're expecting that that person would be a very forgiving person, right? But watch this. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a couple of days, a little bit of money, just a little bit. That's all you need to know on that. Uh, owed him a little bit and seized him and began to choke him. I, I kind of missed that in the story. When I tell, it's like, Emily, you owe me. I've been making you coffee and you... I, <laughs> Literally, have any of you actually gone and choked somebody over a debt? I mean, Jesus is kind of being elaborate here, isn't he? Kind of, he had a flair for drama. He wanted to make a point. But it's like, he, this guy came and started choking the other guy. You owe me, you owe me. What's the problem with that? Even the guy he owed 12 to 20 million to didn't choke him, you know? He was forgiven this insurmountable amount, but here now he's holding somebody accountable for some little amount. He began to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. My question to you is, has anybody ever offended you more than you have offended a holy, righteous God? And you need to understand the answer is no. So somehow we need to be able to forgive. That's the only way restoration is ever going to get started. Without forgiveness, it can't get started. It's not there yet, but it can't get started. So this guy says, pay what you owe. Look at this. So his fellow servants, you know who's looking at you and your unforgiveness when you claim to be a believer and you don't forgive? You know who's looking at you? The world is. Well, you claim to be forgiven of all your sins, but you won't forgive these people? 
He said, have patience with me and I'll pay you. And he could have probably paid him, but he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servants saw what had been taking place, they were greatly distressed. They went and they reported their master all the same place. The world's like, yeah, those Christians, what did Gandhi even say? They asked Gandhi, Gandhi, you know, Hindu dude, all this, you know, about karma, all these things. Gandhi said, they said, Gandhi, what's the biggest problem with Christianity? And you know what he said? Anybody know what he answered? Christians. (laughs) That's what he said. What's the biggest problem with Christianity? He said, Christians. They claim to have all this forgiveness that they've received, but they're not showing it to anybody else. Because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven. When his fellow servants saw he had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Man, they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then look at this. The master even gave the dude a break. He said, he summoned him and said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The guy could have answered, right? You're a cop, man. You ran things. Did you ever give somebody an opportunity to come clean or an opportunity to get a break? But yet they missed it. That's what this guy just did. You know, just say you're sorry. Just take it back or whatever. And he's like, no, they owe me this. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers that he should pay all his debt, which he wasn't going to be able to. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from uh, from your heart. And so he's not talking about your salvation. What he's talking about, the prison you put your own self in when you have unforgiveness. Who hurts the most when you don't forgive? Again, think about it. I know so many people that need to forgive somebody who's dead. Does the dead person even care right now? They can't. You got to forgive. And you know you've forgiven when you're not angry anymore, when you don't want wrath, when you don't want that malice, when you don't want those things to happen to people. It doesn't mean they're your best bud and you're going to have lunch or you lit them back in your house or the, the relationship has to be restored. But that takes time. What has to happen is it starts with forgiveness where it doesn't eat you from the inside out. That's what's got to happen in this. Sounded like I was going to end, didn't it? <laughs> I promise this is a short little thing. It's, we've never gone this long before. She's leaving, man. What's that? Oh, go, man. <laughs> what would your father have said about that? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, man, if you got to go, I, I promise it won't last. A, a, not, no, dude, I'm not even going to, man. Man, y'all probably binged on Netflix for about four hours this week, didn't you? So you can binge on God for a minute. If you got to go stand up, actually, we're almost done here. But listen, there, here's another story that's kind of not looked at a lot right here. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, check this out. So there's a, there's a table, okay? And uh, so, so, so here, here's the table so you can kind of understand. So I had to actually kind of look up images on Google because this girl comes and starts washing his feet. So here's the table. So here's what people did is they would lean on their left arm with their feet out, okay? And they would lean like this and they would grab food and they would eat food, okay? So that's the position right there, okay, that everybody's at. Everybody's around the table that way leaning on it. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So everybody, if you can imagine, everybody's feet sticking around like that, their heads, and they leaned on their left side, ate with their right hand. That's the clean hand. 
You ever go to that culture and eat with your left hand, they will kick you out of dinner because that's a utility hand, <laughs> all right? And if you want to know what that is, ask me later. All right, so, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, the way this is written, this is not just somebody who sinned. Bottom line, she's either probably a prostitute. She was probably one outwardly very disrespected by society. Her sins were on the outside. But you know what? Everybody who comes to this world has sin, Right? Some people are real good at covering the outside, but their sins, the people who don't let you see it on the outside, where are their sins? On the inside. That's where the Pharisees were. That's why they had such a bad... Man, you, you just got to keep them in. You can't let them be on the outside. This woman, uh, 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 and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table, the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of, of, of ointment. This was not Mary Magdalene, and this wasn't Mary uh, Lazarus. It's just a totally different story. And so they would carry like a, a, a thing around, you know, kind of like I have my pocket knife right here. And instead of a pocket knife, they would have like a little flask with some perfume, which you're like, yeah, you could probably use that more than a pocket knife. But anyways, they would break it off and they would use it for special occasions. Once they open it, it's open. So uh, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And so in this, the way the rich people or the important people, people who thought they were important would do business, they'd have a big porch and they'd have a table and they would invite other important people, and they would all come and lay down and have it. But the common person could stand on the outskirts and kind of hear the conversation. They could hear things going on. They could, but they couldn't really participate. They would just look at these important people and hear what they were getting ready to say. That's what she was doing at first. She had access, but she took it another step. So what if somebody came to your dinner party and crawled under the table and broke open some perfume and started wiping something. Fernando, what would happen? I mean, would you be a little kind of like embarrassed for your guests a bit if you didn't really understand what was going on? Yeah, and that's sort of what's happening. These guys were kind of embarrassed. This lady who we know is a prostitute, she's doing this, wiping his feet. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, oh, if the, he was saying it in his head, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. She's a sinner. Hey, what was he? It's just his sin was on the inside, not on the outside where everybody could see it, right? How many of y'all know there's a difference? Because you think your sin on the outside isn't really all that bad. You probably got a bunch of sin on the inside that needs to be taken care of. All sin needs to be taken care of. She's a sinner. He would, if he was a prophet, he would know this. So look at this. This is cool. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, oh, say it, teacher. Finally, this is an awkward moment. How many of y'all can picture this? You're at, you're at Golden Corral. Not Golden Corral. You, you expect that at Golden Corral. I'm just saying. But man, you're at a fancy restaurant. You're laying there and somebody comes in to one of your dinner guests and, you know, a waitress. And she's like washing somebody's feet and crying. How many of y'all would say that's an awkward situation? And you're waiting for somebody to say something. So Jesus, hey, I got something to say. Please do, please do break this awkwardness right now. And he's hoping that he'll take care of it the way she thinks, he thinks it should be taken care of. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher, please. He said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. One had 500, one said 50. He said, when they could not pay, 
He canceled the debt of both of them. Which one of them will love him more? What do you think? The one who had 500 canceled or 50? Which one's going to love him more? The 500. Yeah, duh, that's it. And so look what Jesus said. He said, or Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? Because isn't that what Simon was really saying earlier? Jesus, you see this woman? If you knew who she was. So Jesus said, I know who this woman is. And you know what? Chances are, prior to this encounter, Jesus had already forgiven her of the debt. He'd forgiven her and already made, and she was so grateful for that, that she came and did this for him. It was a done deal already. So he says, Simon, yeah, you see this woman? I already saw her. I I saw her. Do you see her now? He said, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, from the time I've come in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are on the outside are forgiven. She loved much. But he who, I'm going to add interjection, he who thinks he is forgiven a little, loves little. Why didn't Simon do what this woman was doing? Because Simon's like, why would I wash your feet? Why would I do that? Who are you? You're just another teacher. You're whatever. I don't need forgiveness from you. I don't need approval from you. But this woman knew she did. She knew who Christ really was. He didn't. And so he says, the more you understand of what you've been forgiven, the more love there will be in your life. The more you understand how much you've been forgiven, the more you are willing to forgive. And if you're an unforgiving person, perhaps, and you know you're a believer, perhaps you need to revisit all of that and understand again how much you have been forgiven so you in turn can forgive. He said, man, she loves much, but he who thinks they've been forgiven a little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him said, said among themselves, who is this? He even forgives sins. So they didn't know who he was. She did. Do you know who he is? And do you know what he did for you? How dare you? How dare me not forgive others after I have been forgiven so much? All my past, my present, and my future sins. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. She probably wanted to stay with him, but what did he say? Go. She's like, no. But he said, go in peace, which she's probably never gone in peace before. That peace comes from knowing you're forgiven. And peace comes from forgiving. Next week, we're going to look at God's love's unconditional, His love's sacrificial. But this week, we looked at God's love is, what's the F word? Forgiving. Be like God. God is love. Let's pray. Father, thank You for loving us. Father, I pray that we would understand more about how much You love us. Um, just through Your Word, through Your songs, Father, through each other, I pray that we would show each other how much you love us because we understand greater with each offense that comes into our life. Father, I even think of James where it says to be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to blow because the wrath of man can't accomplish the righteousness of God, but the engrafted word of God will save our souls. You have to literally cut us to be able to plant fruit in our lives. 
So when we get cut, when we get offended, Father, help us to see it's by your design to make us more like you. Thank you, Father, for doing that. And Father, help us to have relationships that are restored that have to begin with forgiveness. So whether anybody ever wants to change or anything changes at all, we still need to forgive. And that's where it starts so it doesn't need us alive. Help us show people the same forgiveness you showed us and then be able to work on restoration. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.